Welcome to Well Good Movies, the podcast that gives you the movies well worth watching, even if there are some duds along the way. Combining questions, trivia and games, every episode we're challenged to watch a piece of film history to decide whether it deserves to be remembered for all time in our movie vault. With every film chosen in our previous episode, it's the perfect way to watch and discuss along at home. But don't just take my word for it. Here's a snippet of what to expect in today's episode. Like, it's just crazy to me every time that they're like, there's some guy imitating Santa. Get the cannons. Shoot them yeah. down. Like, what? You know, this escalated quickly. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I feel with just the how fact- many phone calls the police were getting of just what those toys were doing. I can understand why they were mm. just- why the response would be okay so this thing's a demon uh let's just get yeah. rid of it <laughs> okay people tomorrow morning 8 a.m santa's coming ah! oh my god i know him oh christmas isn't just a day it's a family of mine i made my family disappear put that cookie down now Welcome, welcome, welcome to Well Good Movies, the podcast that gives you the movies well worth watching, even when there's bumps along the way. I'm your host, the clown with the tearaway face, here in a flash and gone without a trace, David Osger, and I'm joined by my co-host, the shadow on the moon at night, filling your dreams to the brim with fright, it's Craig McDonald. Hello, Craig. That's probably one of the nicer ones you could have chosen for me, I'll give you that. (laughs) I was tempted to go with... uh, like Oogie Boogie's actual lyrics, like, you're joking, you're joking, I can't believe my eyes. I, I honestly <laughs> this thought... This can't be the right guy, and I was just like, no, this is... <laughs> I thought you were going to go with the lyric, which was the... It's like, I am the who in the who's there, as if, like, just irrelevant or something. Well, there's still more of the song to go, and we still got more guests. The, so no, you know, no, 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 no that's not an invitation <laughs> for you to pick something cruel. Craig, how are you feeling after the aftermath of our Halloween horror month? I mean, it still feels like we're sort of in it, right, because of because of this film choice. Essentially, yeah, which is why it's chosen. It's just an ideal in-between film, isn't it? I mean, sure. <laughs> but um, yeah, there, there was a lot of fun as well on ha- Halloween. Um, I felt that there was kind of like our level of madness and uh, games going on, especially in the world of audio. Um, I know on the Monday of Halloween, I messaged you to say about Radio 1's uh, murder mystery what what did you think of that i thought it carried kind of end game vibes in terms of the dedication they went to well i mean i didn't get a chance to listen to too much of it so my understanding is that certain djs got killed throughout the day and then it was just the other djs who were on air at the time had to try and figure it out yeah and it was it like started with all of them like in the morning when it was like 13 of them or something and they were like we don't know why we're here what's going on and then this like creepy voice like explained the concept and everything and then jordan north just died immediately and was really pissed off because he had to get up at half six in the morning just to immediately then leave again i mean i actually respect that yeah i was gonna say craig would probably do the same to me if uh, we were doing something like that (laughs) murder mystery would undoubtedly be 
Well, actually, it wouldn't be a mystery. You just know that Craig killed me. I mean, we did think about doing a murder mystery for one of the previous episodes, but we just decided it was too much effort for exactly that anti-climax. That's true. That's true. We'll uh, be having lots of fun and games, I'm sure, coming up later on with our uh, end game. But of course, first, we've got our film to discuss. Uh, but first of all, let's uh, introduce who will be joining us this week, discuss this week's film. So first of all, it is one of our oldest reoccurring guests, uh, almost like the wind blowing through your hair. It's gamer and YouTuber, Laura Lyshan. Hello, Laura. Hello, hello. I hope you mean oldest as in, you know, longest reign and not that I'm old. Yeah, no, trust me, we've had we've had people in terms of age definitely uh, go ahead of you. I was going to say outrank you, but that sounded weird. <laughs> no, I think outranking me in age sounds okay, better. Okay, I'll go with outranking. Sounds a nicer, okay. nicer thing. Or yeah. you could, like, even if it had aged you, you could at least blame it on us. Be like, I started this podcast as a 20-year-old woman, and now look at me. It's just like, what's happened? What has Well Good yeah. Movies done to you? So, yeah, thank you for joining us. How's your day going? Good, yeah. I've actually had a day off from work today oh. to do fun things that adults do on days off, like go into the tip to take rubbish <laughs> and uh, looking at furniture. So, you know, exciting things. Definitely that this podcast has aged you, Laura. <laughs> yeah, maybe, maybe three years ago, you were saying that oh, I've been out uh, partying and uh, drinking coffee. I've been at Starbucks. <laughs> so, but yeah, yeah, no, no time for that now. <laughs> we look forward to uh, discussing today's film with you anyway later on. So we'll uh, have a little catch up later on. Uh, so next up, we have a new guest to the podcast. So you could say she's the one who you call when you call who's there. It is freelance film journalist Nicola Austin. Hello, Nicola. Hello. <laughs> Thank you for joining us. Uh, no hopefully you felt that introduction was okay, even though Craig was like fearing that, that lyric coming up somewhere. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, thank, thank you for joining us. Hope you're excited about today's uh, film discussion. Yes, good old Oogie Boogie. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he's popped up a lot already, so I'm yes. sure uh, the conversation will be will be going towards him later on. So yeah, we look forward to uh, finding out more about you and uh, yeah, your thoughts on this film and, and many others later on. So uh, now we've got the introductions uh, out of the way. Uh, we can't wait to chat to both of you about today's movie, as I said. Um, but a reminder to anyone listening, if you could please follow us, rate and interact with us wherever you are listening to this episode, um, or the same on social media like Instagram and Twitter, where you can find us at Well Good Movies. Uh, you can join in with the conversation there. And like I said, wherever you're listening right now, Spotify, Apple, etc., uh, do give us a follow. So let's get on to what the film we are discussing today is. So, Craig, for those who didn't catch our last episode, make sure to check it out if you haven't. It was our very fun Halloween special. Um, or for those who just need a reminder, what is it that we're discussing today and what led us here? So, for our very aptly Halloween episode, we ended up discussing Beetlejuice. Um, and I'm not really sure if I can say that this film had much of a direct connection, apart from just you gave like an explicit demand, basically, to whoever won the endgame to just choose this film because it's the only time that we have to discuss a film perfectly situated right between the middle of Halloween and Christmas which obviously for anyone who is unaware is obviously going to be the nightmare before Christmas yep <laughs> and there's also the Tim Burton connection <laughs> to a but... degree yeah but that is not the that's not the call that you made no no and uh, I'm glad that uh, my my demand worked out so I'm just uh, yes. more surprised that when they were choosing they didn't know that that was what it was going to be they were like oh I wonder what it could be I was like are you kidding me 
noise is that for a baby to make? Perhaps it can be improved? No, no problem. problem. I knew it. Doctor, thank you for coming. We need some of these. Their construction should be exceedingly simple, I think. How horrible our Christmas will be. No! How jolly! Oh, how jolly our Christmas will be. <laughs> what are you doing here? Jack sent for us. Specifically. By name. Lock. Shock. Barrel. Jack! Jack! It's Boogie's boys. Ah! Halloween's finest trick or treaters. Yep. So today's film is Nightmare Before Christmas from 1993. Uh, it is directed by Henry Selleck and uh, it is written and adapted from a original poem that uh, Tim Burton created. Uh, the film focuses on Jack Skellington, king of Halloween Town, who discovers Christmas Town, but his attempts to bring ha uh, Christmas to his home causes a lot of confusion and chaos. Uh, as I mentioned there, uh, Tim Burton is credited as a writer for sort of coming up with the story and characters. Uh, also credited are Michael McDowell and uh, Caroline Thompson, who is responsible for the animation screenplay. Uh, this film has quite a big cast and a lot of uh, famous faces. Uh, you have the singing and voice talents of Danny Elfman for Jack Skeleton, and then playing his kind of speaking voice is Chris Sarandon. Uh, you also have Catherine O'Hara as Sally, and then uh, alongside them are William Hickey. You have Glenn Shadix, who's the mayor, who was in Beetlejuice as well. So see, there was another connection, Craig. Again, and then you, you got... didn't say that. <laughs> <laughs> and then you've got Paul Rubens, another kind of Tim uh, Burton alumni who is known for uh, Pee-wee. Uh, who voices Locke. you got Ken Page as Oogie Boogie, who we were bigging up at the beginning. Uh, you got Ed Ivory as Santa, and then a whole other host of uh, various voice actors who play the many inhabitants of Halloween Town. Uh, one of my favourite credited uh, characters and actresses is Carmen Twilly, who voices Undersea Gal, which is <laughs> just like the most opposite thing you could think to like the Little Mermaid. <laughs> like, Undersea Gal, why not? <laughs> so, uh, yep, as mentioned, this was uh, directed by Henry Selleck out in 1993. It's a stop motion animated film. It comes from Walt Disney. This idea was created by Tim Burton when he worked at Disney, not something that we discussed in our last episode when we were talking about Beetlejuice, but a lot of his way into Hollywood was actually his start in animation because he worked at uh, the Walt Disney Animation Studios. He came up with this idea there and crazily enough they you know they actually run with it so it's it's always weird when you see you know Disneyland and some of their franchises that you've got all this kind of like fairy tale stuff and happy stuff and then there's uh Nightmare Before Christmas Day on the side which is actually why I had my uh Disney mug here just to kind of showcase the contrast of yes this company owns this property which uh is always a fun uh sort of addition to this but yeah it always fills the theme parks you know I'm sure Disney is very happy to have this in their kind of catalog because it just means that they're all set for Halloween uh, when it comes to like the theme parks and Disney Plus and all of that kind of stuff. And yeah, it's had a huge cultural impact ever since its release. Um, it was a big release for stop motion animation. Uh, the director, we said, Henry Selleck, who's got uh, went on to do many other similar projects. And uh, yeah, as we'll be talking about, it's just 
infiltrated many other types of mediums and merchandise. Uh, you know, there's a big following behind this film. So uh, yeah, we can't wait to deep dive into Nightmare Before Christmas later on. But uh, let's go back to our guests now and uh, we'll talk a bit about their memories of Nightmare Before Christmas and uh, maybe some of their early thoughts. But uh, first of all, let's just uh, get to know or catch up with them first. So Nicola, obviously you're first up as it's your first time on Well Good Movies. So uh, yeah, just let us know what you know what is it that you do in terms of your freelance writing uh what are, what are some of the favorite types of genres and films you like to sort of talk about or write about yeah um so i'm digital marketing and design by day but in um at night <laughs> i'm a freelance writer i've written for like empire radio times digital spy um those kinds of publications uh favorite films um i don't know how long you want to go <laughs> through this for there's a lot of them um uh, but primarily like lord of the rings inception Booksmart, totoro spider-man spider-verse that kind of thing um as well as labyrinth and other quite in the animated films as well um but primarily genre is probably sci-fi fantasy horror action that kind of bag really yeah good variety there as well yes. i'm always glad to see totoro pop in there as well that's a film that always te- especially lately seems to be keep popping up because yeah um i always talk about it as quite a nice especially the soundtrack is a very therapeutic type film which is yeah. what a lot of ghibli films are but i think our previous guest shelly was talking about uh, them for the same reason as well um so yeah it's always nice to to get their inclusion there and and with such a variety like lord of the rings etc <laughs> yeah a little bit of it, yeah <laughs> i'm gutted though that they uh the play is sold out and i missed tickets <laughs> oh yeah 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 because yeah where is it is it actually like at the globe or something is yeah, it or barbican i think oh okay yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's yeah whenever i've seen pictures and stuff of that yeah it seems to be very inventive and creative with it's the, Jim the kind Henson of... company I think who've done all the puppets ah yeah and which is like I said is another good shout with Labyrinth as well yes. I'm always a fan of <laughs> puppetry and and using it outside of just you know the Muppets etc so yeah so yeah I guess uh, Nightmare Before Christmas is is well suited in that sense mm. it combines those kind of you know puppets in some sense with stop motion and animation Definitely. so you know were you, were you happy to have this uh announced as the, as the film you'd be talking about on today's episode? I was, yeah. Um, I don't know if we'll talk about it a bit later, but I was a bit of a late one to this film. I'm going to be honest. Um, but yeah, very excited. I'm glad I'm not the only one in that regard. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> and you're actually seeing the concert, you said, pretty soon as well, isn't it? Yes. The live concert. Yeah, at Wembley with Danny Alfman and um, Phoebe Bridges, I believe, is voicing um, uh, one of them. So yeah, that'd be interesting. <laughs> wow, that's cool. Yeah, I've yeah. I've seen the videos of when they've done it before, when they've had like Catherine O'Hara and Ken Page and stuff. Mm. And yeah, it's just so fun, and it it lends itself to a concert so much because I guess that there's so much theatrics in the kind of songs and the the story itself is led by the music so much. So yeah, yeah, very very jealous. Got to go to that. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, we'll uh, get to your thoughts fully about Night Before Christmas as we go on. Now over to Laura, which is more of a catch-up, because like I said, uh, you've joined us on the podcast before. You've also joined us talking about Christmas films before, and I guess that was the last time you joined us was, again, Tim Burton talking about Edward Scissorhands, and we talked about Gremlins as well when we were talking about kind of darker Christmas films. Uh, so it's a bit of a theme uh, running there, Laura. But uh, yeah, how, how have you been? How is the sort of Twitch, YouTube, streaming stuff going? Yeah, it's going really, really well. I'm actually very jealous of Nicola going to that that concert. I didn't even know it was a thing. <laughs> just like, 
what is the thing i think if i went though i think i'd cry like through the entire thing i don't think i should go <laughs> i think i'd yeah it'd be a bad luck for me oh, but um yeah yeah youtube and twitch are going really really well um i seem to have had um a lot of success with the game uh valheim um the last six to eight months or so um which is a viking survival rpg um found a lovely community of people all playing the game and um yeah it's 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 really really nice it's uh finding a lot of of like-minded people who like all the same nerdy stuff you do it's uh it's really nice really good yeah that that's i guess yeah the gaming community is very built on that kind of you know idea of like collaboration and coming together and having similar interests similar games etc is something that we were talking about before recording with Nicola you were saying about Dungeons and Dragons which is coming up soon and you're talking to Lauren Barth about that so I guess those kind of worlds are starting to overlap a bit as they kind of semi-successfully adapt some of these games etc not sure yet if they've really successfully done it or if they ever will um yeah there's definitely that similar element I guess with kind of like fandom as well of people who were like you know into these types of films or love you know certain directors etc then there's always that kind of like similar ground in which you're like oh you like that so you know that you get along already kind of thing similar to like how when you're younger and people are like what bands are you into that that kind of thing <laughs> but um, i've actually been watching a lot of um have you guys seen the uh the del toro cabinet of curiosities oh, thing yeah yes i've only watched up to episode three so far and i think episode three is my favorite one so far and I'm like oh they're getting like they're getting more and more gruesome as they're going along okay. at the moment right i've watched um, the first one and i was like it's oh, not too scary <laughs> yeah oh, oh they get worse okay they, they do get they get they get they get good yeah yeah Intriguing. yeah that was definitely <laughs> on my watch list and now it's kind of like halloween's gone i'm like i'm, I'm still allowed to watch this right yeah. <laughs> yeah so yeah yeah i'm i'm looking forward to watching that and, and we were talking about again like with henry selick who directed this as well he's got wendell and wild has just come out as well on netflix so yeah. um a lot of kind of creepy you know netflix has done pretty well putting that kind of like creepy halloweeny type, type content out there at the moment not sure if they've done the best job of advertising all of it but no. you know <laughs> it's uh, always the way with netflix isn't it laura as you mentioned there you know if you were emotional at the concert um i guess it's just a given in terms of your memories about this film are quite probably more substantial than than the rest of us so just briefly i guess before we talk about it you know a lot more later on what what what's your kind of most significant memories about this and you know why do you attach yourself so much to the film i think it's just that i remember watching it around christmas time when i was a kid and i think it was it was one of those films where like you know when you're a kid and you can sort of like remember scenes of a film but you don't know what the film is but it made such an impact on you that whenever you saw it again you'd be like oh that's that film that i remember blah blah blah, blah. and i'd be like you know five or something and that that was one of the films that always sort of like stuck in my mind as as watching but never really knowing what it was um i think the part where he sort of like uh, when he gets um shot down he sort of just like lying over the the book on the angel in the graveyard that that bit there just always stuck in my head when I was a kid and that's that's the bit that like yeah really always sticks to me for some reason um but I did get a little bit upset watching it earlier on because I watched it for the first time probably in like 10 years earlier on and it was like singing all the words and yeah it was it was nice nice to watch it again 
Yeah, surprise now these kind of like nostalgia trips can yeah really trigger those memories or emotions in you. And I think definitely as you get older, like I was saying to uh, one of our previous guests, Jake, the other day I was watching something which I've seen like a dozen times. And I'm like, why am I getting so emotional about this? I've seen this like a bunch of times, but it was just that I was seeing it through a different context because of like other stuff that we've seen since. And um, yeah, I, I don't know. I was like, maybe I'm just like Kevin Smith. Maybe as I get grow older, I just become more of a blubber and mess or something. <laughs> Bless him. <laughs> just like a good cry, doesn't he? Yeah. It's so yes. sweet. <laughs> You know, and let's talk firstly about that kind of cultural significance and its impact. Uh, you know, for me, I think it definitely is one that, you know, you've always kind of seen a lot of merchandise for and definitely has been kind of very embedded into kind of like theme parks and, you know, television. As you were saying, Laura, there's definitely that element of, you know, there's always the memories there. Even it's kind of a bit like hocus pocus in a way as well. Is even if you didn't kind of watch the full film, you might have seen it in the shops all the time. There would have been uh, pencil cases of it or that kind of thing, or you might have caught glimpses of it on Christmas Day. I myself remember waking up on Christmas one day and you know putting all my presents in my room and the TV was on in the background, and I was like, oh no, Nightmare Before Christmas is on. I didn't get to like catch it, and you you just seeing like little bits of it and it just kind of captures your imagination just so, so much because it looks so different and even then as a kid you're kind of thinking like oh my god are they showing this on christmas day like it's a halloween you know it's like this spooky halloween christmas film like how, how could they do that so nicola laura what, what do you think in terms of like that cultural impact nicola i saw you saw nodding when i was saying about like you see it everywhere is that something <laughs> yeah. that you kind of like experienced throughout the years Definitely. Um, I went to Disneyland Paris. Is it Disneyland or Disneyland? I can't remember. One of the two. Disneyland um, is the Paris yeah. one, yeah. Uh, with some friends last year and there, there was a Jack Skeleton at a specific time, a specific uh, place and you could go and meet him and there were like jack-o'-lanterns everywhere and it was quite sweet actually. I was more hocus pocus as a kid um, so I saw bits and pieces of it but only a few years ago I watched it properly in like full um, but when I was growing up, um, I was big into music. So obviously Blink-182 talked about Jack and Sally and um, it was, uh, they did the re-released album, if I remember rightly, with like Evanescence and Rise Against. Um, so yeah, there was uh, quite a bit in popular culture and, and music, I'd say. And then obviously Vans did a, did a range <laughs> of shoes and stuff. So yeah. Yeah, that's true. Actually, I forgot about the re-released album because, yeah, there was so many like different versions and covers of the song, which have like, and sometimes you can hear those versions, like if somebody's like adding it to their Instagram story or something like that, which is always like strange Weird, to hear. Yeah. Yes, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and I know what a big one for you, Laura, would be, like I said earlier, the merchandise side of things, because again, we, you know, we've talked before, we, we you know, we knew you from school and I remember you having, I'm pretty sure you had a Nightmare Before Christmas bag or at least oh, some kind of like... I had rings. Nightmare Before Christmas everything. <laughs> I, I was I was thinking about all the stuff. Um, like I, I, I remembered I had, I might have had them when I was in school actually. I had Jack, Sally and Zero keychains, like plushy ones in my bag. Loved them. I, I remembered about them today when I was watching the film. But um, I got a friend, one of my friends... Um, Whenever it's Halloween, she always buys all of my Christmas presents for ha at Halloween because they've got all the Nightmare Before Christmas stuff out and she just keeps it for me because she's like, I can buy you anything Nightmare Before Christmas and I know you like it, so it's kind of easy to buy you stuff, um, which is great. It's really great. But um, I think in the last, I think maybe in the last, like, 15 years, perhaps, there's been, like, 
more of a big merchandise thing with it because I can never remember it being that big of a thing merchandise wise when it first came out because I remember when it first sort of like got more and more being really excited and being like oh my gosh there's like Nightmare Before Christmas stuff and kind of kind of being a little bit of a gatekeeper as well and being like excuse me you didn't like Nightmare Before Christmas before all the merchandise come out you're not allowed to buy it now I've liked it since I was a kid it's not on um but yeah there's definitely been I think they've kind of realized that like how big of a a thing it is and a cultural thing it is and they've sort of thought well we can make a couple of million quid a, a year off this and not if if more so uh let's cheap tuning it out i guess yeah and i think it is similar to as we said hocus pocus in the sense that it kind of built up over a few years because that was similar in terms of like it wasn't a huge financial you know box office success but it was kind of like the disney channel vhs sales of it which kind of like built it up over the years and i guess vhs (laughs) (laughs) back in the day Yeah. yeah that kind of like created you know this whole other community for for this movie and you know really kind of created a cult following and people grew up with it in that sense as well. Um, I guess when you're talking about Christmas films, you know, a similar one would be like something like Muppets Christmas Carol again, oh, which is something yes. which people are always like, oh, I watched it with my family. I watched the video, etc. Not one that I did have the video of, actually. I can't even really remember seeing like a video of it, but I think it's mainly that whole being on TV element that we talked about is the fact that you would see it on BBC Two time. or BBC <laughs> One. Yeah. yeah, exactly. So I think that it plays a big part of your childhood just through coincidence in a way and the fact that I think I remember seeing again I'm not sure where my first kind of full watch of it was but the fact that I had seen so many like different parts of it and then I remember seeing it on the Disney channel similar to where I watched like Hocus Pocus and it's just how kind of visceral and how kind of significant each part of this the film is you know just going from like Christmas Town to Halloween Town, there's such a contrast and there's so many visual elements to it which are just like iconic. You know, the, the Christmas door, the reaching of the handle, all of that kind of really kind of gets embedded in your memories. And like you were saying, Laura, I think that the characters, especially, you know, are a big part of that as well, is the fact that then Disney saw that, oh, you know, this is something that we can kind of market and make merchandise out of. And Again, similar to how we were talking about last time with Beetlejuice, there's always been that kind of like, will there be a, you know, Nightmare Before Christmas too? And, you know, those kind of like conversations. And the fact that they had like a 3D re-release a few years ago, uh, you were saying, Nicola, about the theme parks. I think they kind of redo Haunted Mansion to be Nightmare Before Christmas themed around Halloween Christmas time as well. Um, And as you were saying, they have like the characters there to meet and everything like that. So it's worked out well in that sense that they're like, oh, we don't have too many Halloween characters let's bring in these guys which you know has, has worked out fantastically for them what what else is there any other ones that sort of stand out to you guys in terms of like the characters as you were saying like laura with like plushies and yeah i guess it become a big thing with like hot topic and shoes and all that kind of stuff yeah hot topic is the main one isn't it yeah shoes bags <laughs> merch all that kind of thing yeah and for some reason my chemical romance i always like associate them with <laughs> that band for some reason i think they liked liked it a lot for me it's just the one it's just that one end scene i think that's the that was the only thing i really saw of nightmare before christmas both in terms of the actual scene because i'm pretty sure that i would have caught like the tail end of the film somewhere where it's literally just that sort of iconic frozen over cliff in uh in the moonlight 
but also just seeing that image just literally anywhere with his merch just posted on it whether that be you know like mugs bags or posters so they they definitely knew how to make a striking visual and to capitalize on it a lot yeah and again it was go back to what we were saying last week about beetlejuice with i think lucy was saying about like here again it would be sort of henry selick but i guess it's also coming from some of the early illustrations from burton is again that kind of like iconography is that even though he can have some hiccups in terms of story and that kind of stuff he knows how to kind of make a very memorable image especially when you're talking about animation and i love that as i said you know is is down to tim burton but also henry selick who only recently i think has you know come out and he's probably said this a few times over the years but said it is disappointing that so many people attribute this film purely to tim burton and uh, that you know they don't realize that he actually directed this film not Tim. You know, I, I do feel bad for him in the sense that like he doesn't get recognized for that. And I think when you do look at the behind the scenes, like I checked out the original poem uh, that Tim Burton wrote. And yet, you know, it is pretty much beat for beat the same story. Um, but when you look at like the, the designs and stuff, yeah, again, it came from Burton's drawings. But I think that the kind of world and like, you know, Halloween Town, etc., a lot of that came from Selleck. And as we said, you know, some of the, the great camera work that it does like Oogie Boogie, I don't think is even a part of the um, original poem at all. Um, so that was definitely like an element of this. Um, might come up in the trivia later. There's something interesting, uh, which is a part of that. Um, we'll see if it comes up. Yeah, I think that obviously he's just got a, a knack for kind of making very striking visuals. And similar with James and the Giant Peach. Like as a kid, I was like, I, I don't know what to make of this film. And it was very odd and strange, especially because it was live action partly as well. For me, from James and the Giant Peach, I don't know why. I still distinctly remember what the house uh, on the hill looks like for me that's just an incredible uh just like an incredibly sort of dark design i instantly knew as a kid that had nothing to do with burton for me i think that i think that look uh is even though it's like dark it is definitely distinct uh and avoids a lot of the sort of trap holes i think that i've had of burton's work in the present that felt very restrained <laughs> It's just because I. It's just because I've done the rant so many times. I think even last episode, I think there was an element of it, so I'm not going to get into it again. <laughs> okay, so get those cassettes and rewind them again because it's time for VHS Corner. This time, I'll be talking you through some of the little uh, behind the scenes with this film. Uh, so let's get the big one out of the way because we sort of hinted towards this um there is what has only been described as by imdb as something of a controversy over exactly who has the rights to call the story in film the rome um henry selick obviously is the director and spent more time on the set and production than tim burton however burton has often claimed that he is the owner of the story as it was his idea he wrote the original poem and most of the script created the characters served as a producer and even wanted to direct but it was simply too busy at the time to do so uh pop culture has long accepted uh the film as burton's because of the the title tim burton's nightmare before christmas um but burton does reinforce the fact that selick directed the film and is often annoyed that people don't remember for him before that uh on the direction of the film um selick reflected it's as though burton had laid the egg and I sat on it and hatched it. He wasn't involved in a hands-on way, but his hands is in it. It was my job to make it look like a Tim Burton film, which is not so different from my own films. Uh, when asked on Burton's involvement, Selleck claimed, 
I don't want to take away from Tim, but he was not in San Francisco when we made it. He came up five times over two years and spent no more than eight or ten days in total. Um, also, Walt did uh, Disney feature animation contributed with some of uh, some use of second layering traditional animation. Uh, Burton found production somewhat difficult because he was directing Batman Returns and in pre-production of Ed Wood at the time of all of that. So I think it definitely adds a lot more to the argument that uh, Selleck should get a lot more credit than is actually given um, specifically in that regard. Coming a little bit on to Danny Elfman, I think actually, ironically, Danny Elfman has more of an imprint on the actual film of Tim Burton's Nightmare Before Christmas than Tim Burton does for a couple of reasons. One, in the, in the scenes with the street band, uh, especially inside the town hall, there is a small man inside the, uh, the base that is based on Danny Elfman himself. Um, the reason that the speaking role for Jack Skellington was cast to Chris uh, Sarandon was because his speaking voice matched the singing voice of Danny Elfman himself. Um, so there are way, many ways in which Elfman's music definitely shapes the film. Um, the irony, however, is that Danny Elfman found writing Nightmare's 10 songs as, and I quote, one of the easiest jobs I've ever had. I had a lot in common with Jack Skellington. Coming on now to the stop uh, stop motion, uh, motion, because this is always an interesting aspect for the film for many people. It took a group of around 100 people three years to complete the movie. Uh, for one second of film, up to 12 stop motion moves had to be made. And it's also stated in the making of book that the most difficult shot in the film to actually film itself is the shot where Jack is reaching for the doorknob to Christmas land. Viewers can see the perfect surround reflection of the forest around Jack in the background. So I think it's fair to say some excellent animation work going on there that definitely deserve credit. It was mentioned about the idea of would we get a uh, Nightmare Before Christmas 2. Well, I can safely say it was considered in 2001. Uh, they were going to produce a sequel, but instead of using stop motion, they were going to use computer animation. Tim Burton convinced Disney to drop the idea, as he was always very protective of Nightmare to not do sequels or things of that kind, because it would just be a case of Jack visits Thanksgiving World or other kinds of things like that. But Tim Burton felt that the movie had a purity to it and people liked it to stay that way. So I think, given the fact that Disney is obviously a massive sequel machine, I think it's actually an impressive thing that he's actually able to get them to agree to. And finally, uh, a little bit about Oogie Boogie. I don't think this is what David was wanting me to talk about. So sorry for that, David. Way to set me up for failure. But specifically about who Oogie Boogie was originally intended to be in the film at all. So the original idea for Oogie Boogie was it was going to be Finkelstein in disguise. Reportedly, uh, Tim Burton was so infuriated by this idea that he literally kicked a hole into the wall. I think that's the most impact I will give Tim Burton for anything. And those are the facts for VHS Corner this time. That is what I was thinking. Oh, is it? That is it the, was actually that's that. What I okay. stopped myself. Yeah, so... Yeah, I deserve credit for what <laughs> I stopped myself. I didn't ruin the the trivia. In fi- no, the way you said it, I I no idea if it was going to be something else. I just didn't pick up on. Okay, good. So I actually got what you wanted. <laughs> but yeah, no. If you see that deleted so- storyboard sequence, like I don't condone Tim Burton kicking a wall, but it it didn't work. You were just like this. Uh, I I do. It's funny. <laughs> well, okay, but yeah. In terms of like, I see why they got rid of that element because yeah just it just didn't work as a part of the film especially because they like 
tried to tie it in in the sense that he was like, I wanted to get back at Sally for not being interested in me and wanting to be my wife. And she's more interested in you, Jack. And it's just like, and then he's just like, but I'm going to go off and make my own wife. And then he just like goes away and you're like, oh, okay. So the villain of the film doesn't even meet his end. <laughs> uh, so what does everyone else think about some of the facts that are brought up there? Obviously elements that we, you know, had already alluded to in terms of the direction, uh, Danny Elfman's voice, you know, the painstaking animation that was done. I actually read an interview that he did recently, uh, Salik, and he was saying, I think it was three weeks beforehand, um, before the film came out, they actually decided to change it to Tim Burton's Nightmare and put that beforehand. <laughs> and you think, oh, it's a bit disrespectful, really, isn't it? <laughs> I was thinking that because as we were talking about it, I was like, I can't always remember it as Tim Burton's nightmare before christmas i remember like when it started to come out again through like dvd and stuff but when i was young i can't remember it saying that like all the time i guess for the sake of tv guides and stuff then it would just be inconvenient to have that like in the description or the name on the tv guide etc so you're not going to see it there but yeah i can't always remember it being tim burton's nightmare before christmas but again it might just be from the days of television and stuff where maybe i just didn't have room for it in in the listings (laughs) etc Yeah, I think he said basically, I mean, if it was going that way when he signed up, he'd be fine with it. Um, But he even said, you know, if they even said like Danny Alfman had more of a sort of imprint on it, he'd be happier with that, to be honest. So I thought that was quite interesting. (laughs) I'm just really glad they didn't make a sequel with the commuter animation. That would have been horrendous and just tarnished the entire thing for me. I think for a lot of people, because... I don't know, I think people kind of almost think that like stop motion is kind of like a lesser way of animation sometimes. Really? I yeah, I think so. I think like people that I I, I know they you know, they say oh, it's a stop, you know, stop motion and film or whatever. And I don't know, I think they just don't feel as if it has like I know there's like different, you know, there's a lot of restrictions with, with stop motion, but I think I I really like stop motion films. Um, I think it adds quirkiness to a film. Like it's not perfect. Actually, when I was watching through it um, earlier on, um, there was one scene. I think it's when they were all going into the the town hall to uh, to go and have the meeting. Um, once Jack comes back from uh, Christmas Town for the first time, and uh, the horn on the mayor's car, um, it actually moves. Obviously, somebody must have knocked it at some point and it moves and i love that that you know it shows that like wow there's people actually like moving these things around like little by little and like that's magic like how can you say that that's not something you want to replace with computer animation you know there's so much care has gone into it as well like talking about Ardman in comparison like with wallace and gromit like all the little fingerprints you can see sometimes and you just think that's just so for me, it's a bit more creative and you can tell how many hours have been poured into this um, for stop motion. Yeah, it comes across as a kind of craft, isn't it? And especially because you're telling essentially like a modern fairy tale, then it comes across as that. I think one thing I really loved when Henry Selleck was talking about the look that they went for uh, was that they wanted like a pop-up book feel. And I was like, well, yeah, you really achieved that really well because I never thought of that. But when you kind of get told that, you're like, yeah, it is like a pop-up book, but not in a kind of, oh, you know, like they just copied a pop-up book. Is the It kind of imitates that feel, but you don't feel like you're watching a pop-up book presented in a film. And I guess that that kind of like leads to like 
how it influences the way you watch it as a kid, etc. And that there's something familiar about it, but you can't quite put, you know, your finger on what, what it is. And I think that that was a genius idea to sort of embrace. Um, and I think they were talking about the look of the, you know, the town and stuff. And they, they wanted to base it off uh, pen and ink illustrations from people like Ronald Searles. So the fact that they would take uh, the sets and stuff and they would deliberately draw those lines and kind of like, um, you know, paint onto them to make it look like worn in and stuff like that is, that's the kind of stuff that, as you were saying there, Nicola, kind of makes it feel real and you know something that's come to life you know is you feel that jack skeleton has was some form of puppet and he's suddenly been given life by the filmmakers where that's where we you know we were saying before with other films is that at the end of the day a computer animated film that character does not exist you can't go to a museum you can't pick up that character um they are in a computer so they are just unattainable and i think what you're saying there laura is unfortunately true there's some kind of weird thing in which people feel like 2d animation that there's either kind of like oh that's either too kiddie or it's too arty or too like something that i wouldn't understand because there's like some kind of disassociation there whereas for some reason 3d animation has always seemed more accessible to kind of general audiences because they're like oh it, it looks more like real life or it looks more serious it looks more what could be an a, you know a, a family a adult film and i've never quite understood that but that's you know why i suppose 3d animation is has taken off so much, but at least we do still have, you know, a, a lot of companies that are still keeping three uh, sort of stop motion um, and 2D alive. Um, I think the other one just worth noting as well is, like I said, the Danny Elfman uh, fact about, you know, him doing the singing voice and how it was quite an easy gig for him. And I think that the fact that Burton went to him with just the basic story, but didn't have any sort of concept of what the song should be, the fact that this is such a, a music-led film that, you know, I don't feel it's quite a musical, but it's definitely, you know, a kind of like has that kind of poem storybook element in that the songs are telling you the major parts of the film and you could listen to the album and pretty much understand the story, which I think is one of its definite plus points. And I think I remember seeing an interview with him before where he was saying about it was perfect because it was at the time in his career I think when he was leaving the band Ongo Boingo. Ongo Boingo, yeah. amazing name. <laughs> <laughs> exactly, yeah. So he felt that way himself. He related to Jack so that you're like, oh, well, that's why that performance and those songs are so heartfelt in the sense of being bored and felt feeling like lost, etc. Because that's how he felt at that time that he was getting, he wanted something new and he was struggling with that. So yeah, you can tell that, Elf, you know, Danny Elfman really put himself into Jack and kind of, you know, sees his own sore struggles and emotions in that character, which I think is great. And the fact that he's still showing that today by being at live concerts like you'll be seeing, you know, soon, Nicola. Yeah. <laughs> you don't look like yourself, Jack. Not at all. Isn't that wonderful? It couldn't be more wonderful. But you're the Pumpkin King. Not anymore. And I feel so much better now. Jack, I know you think something's missing, but... Ow! Sorry. You're right. Something is missing. But what? I've got the beard, the coat, the boots, the Jack, belt. Jack! This time we bagged him. This time we really did. He sure is big, Jack. And heavy! Let me out! In person. What a pleasure to meet you. What? 
Why, you have hands. You don't have claws at all. What? Where am I? Surprised, aren't you? I knew you would be. You don't need to have another worry about Christmas this year. What? 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 Consider this a vacation, Sandy. A reward. It's your turn to take it easy. But, but there must be some mistake. See that he's comfortable. Three. At the beginning, uh, I said that we talk about films that are well worth watching despite bumps along the way. So uh, what would you say for Nightmare Before Christmas? Is this well worth watching or a bump? I definitely think this is a well worth watching film. I would. I'm going to caveat that with I think there are elements of this film which are slightly overrated, but I still think it is like a worthwhile film. Okay. Okay. Fair enough. <laughs> yeah. I think, well, obviously I've talked about like my memories and stuff like that. You know, I'm a big fan of this film. You know, I absolutely love it. I think that it played a big part of my childhood, but when I revisited it as well, I think that it's simplicity, it's music has really stuck with me. I think that, you know, some of the problems and stuff there's touching on and just the very concept itself as well of like another holiday trying to imitate another one is not something that we've ever seen before and not something that can really be done again, as Tim Burton said, you know, like what is interesting about Thanksgiving or, you know, etc. So I think that this, you know, really does come across as like, a, you know, a new style fairy tale. And I think that, this, you know, the length of the film and the way that it's told really lends itself to that. And I think that, you know, there's so many positives of it that, you know, they definitely outweigh the negatives for me. Laura, is it, it just a given, obviously, in terms of your, you know, your feelings? But have things changed, like you said, from rewatching it? Um, I think I think I definitely got, you know, strong, good feelings about it um because of nostalgia reasons and i think just like this sort of like i really love the visuals um of it and i've always liked um sort of like spooky things that aren't like too scary i'm not a massive fan of like really really like frightening things but things are a little bit different (laughs) from the norm um i really like that kind of stuff um it's definitely made a big impact on me i mean you can buy me anything black and white stripey clothes wise and I'll wear it. Um, the, no questions asked. Um, but um, yeah, it's def- definitely something worthwhile watching, I think. And I think it's still, um, obviously because it's stop motion as well. Um, it hasn't really aged either. Um, whereas like, you know, other, other films that were made probably in the nineties, you can kind of tell that they're from the nineties. Whereas I suppose this one, although, you know, looking at like the more recent Ardwin films and stuff, although the techniques and the, you know, they, they're more of a smooth kind of feel to them. I sometimes feel like that kind of takes away from the stop motion sometimes that they, they're so, they look um, too good. They look too much like um, actual like computer animation or something where I think this one is, it, it still has that like imperfectness that sort of gives it that sort of, real feel to, to it yeah i was thinking that when we again we were talking about like uh, the other week with paranorman and again even though i love that that stop motion and what they're able to do there when i rewatched this i was thinking the exact same thing i was like i like the fact that it's a bit more it's similar how they do with like the lego movies and stuff that they're kind of like more stilted and there's not quite as smooth a you know frame rate in, in it in a way and the fact that some of the characters like dr finkelstein the fact that he's just got this weird kind of like lip thing that just sort of flaps around and he's got like weird teeth and you can kind of see almost the creases in the the plasticine or whatever you want to call it as he talks i think that 
you know, all of that lends itself to that kind of like handcrafted look. Uh, Nicola, what, what's your overall thoughts, whether it be, you know, from originally watching it or, or revisiting it? Yeah, I um, I feel like every time I watch it, I appreciate it a little bit more, weirdly enough. Um, i got to say the same as Laura. I just think it looks so good and, and quite timeless in a way, um, as you said. Um, I just can't believe how they managed to fit it in like 70 something minutes. It's insane. <laughs> and it just makes it very rewatchable, I would say. And it's again, as like you said before, Halloween and Christmas, it's just like the perfect time for like that in between sort of thing. So yeah, really, really good. Yeah, well, Burton said he was inspired when he actually saw like a window dressing being changed from Halloween to Christmas of like a shop or something like that. So that's where the idea came from. So again, I suppose that transition even was at at the core of it. And and interestingly, watching the poem, and I think that that's what's successful to the film is that, you know, Tim Burton says about some of the inspirations being that he wanted it to be like the Christmas specials he grew up with, like Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer and where you see Frosty the Snowman, etc., which those are kind of like toy stop motion animation based um but also there's obviously a, an element of like dr zeus you know the grinch he said this is almost like the opposite of the grinch in the sense of like somebody who loves christmas and wants to embrace it but the poem i would say comes across a bit more grinch like in the sense that like jack is almost like i want to take over christmas and i'm going to do this i'm santa now etc to to the uh to Sandy Claus and I don't know whether that's just because Christopher Lee was narrating the, the reading the poem in in the sort of blu-ray version they have of it but I think it's just even in the words itself that he comes across as a lot more pompous whereas I like in the film that he's quite he's just quite naive that he just thinks he's doing the right thing he's like hey have a break and you know he's just so <laughs> focused and wanting to like make this a success and he's so he's excited a, by something misguided new. isn't he Bethan? <laughs> yeah exactly and that's what makes my he's a fanfic writer <laughs> <laughs> like you said laura as well that image when he's blasted out of the sky you know that's where you know that kind of like gets me almost emotional is just the fact that he's just like he's like oh they're hitting us on purpose so then when he like <laughs> is falling out of the sky and he's still like saying you know to all a good night i'm like oh that's oh, so tragic he's just trying his best <laughs> yeah he still wants yeah. to like see it out you know that he mm. still wants to do the job and uh, you know i think that that's yeah just you know a, a tragic moment but i think that that's what works so well about the film version of the character and you know what he's trying to do because you know one of my favorite elements especially at the beginning is when he's like uh trying to work out what is christmas and he's like doing all the experiments and he's there like crumbling a bauble into like liquid and it's just like hmm interesting reaction but what does it mean <laughs> and this is that idea of somebody trying to like deconstruct christmas as well i think that you know we often talk about you know is this a good christmas film is it an ideal halloween one but I think that that's why it is such a good Christmas film is because it's similar to when you have like other mediums and other characters is when you restrain yourself from what works, it kind of almost makes that element stronger is the fact that you don't get too much Christmas in the film that when you do have Christmas, you're like, oh, look how warm and cozy. And, you know, you understand what Christmas is every time you see it in the film. Um, but that contrasted with Halloween, the fact that you're being shown it through a Halloween lens it just makes it different and kind of like, you know, enjoyable in the sense that you can see it through new eyes, through Jack's eyes. And, and that idea of trying to be like, you know, what does it mean? You know, it's, the, you know, the audience is then almost watching it going like, it doesn't mean anything. Christmas is Christmas. It's <laughs> yeah. all about, you know, festivity and, you know, enjoying yourself. There's not like a core principle idea to it. And I think that that's what 
is fun about the film is and it works so well as a, as you were saying nicola as a 70 minute film is that you know it starts off with the halloween song and then it ends with the kind of you know the snow falling in halloween town so that there's some kind of embracing of the two worlds i like all the formula he, he's right scribbling down as well <laughs> yeah one of my favorites is like the villagers like i love so many moments with those like the vampires when they're trying to find jack <laughs> and one yes. of them's like i looked behind the cyclops's eye and he wasn't there <laughs> and all this it's just it's it's great dialogue i think that's why it doesn't work for me sometimes is when you get the weird lines like when Dr. Finkelstein is just like, um, what's he say about like, oh, you know, it, uh, uh, that's what killed the cat. And Jack is just like, yes, I heard that. And you're like, okay. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's it. I think he said curiosity killed the cat, you know. And then Jack's just like, yes, I have heard that. And then that's it. And I was like, it oh, just stops. Is, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Is like, no, cool story, bro. <laughs> yeah. Is there no joke there? Is there no pun? I thought Jack was going to say, yes, I killed the cat or something like that. But yeah, there's sometimes some weird dialogue moments like that. But yeah, I think the villagers really have some uh, some fun moments. And, and as, of course, we said earlier, boogie boogie. I don't know. Something about the way when like Sally's like leg comes through. <laughs> like he's so angered by the fact yes. that like she fooled him it's just and yeah just and the way he's holding it just it he's makes like, me laugh Ooh. <laughs> yeah he's a real creep you had to have some kind of defeat of a villain especially one who has tortured santa claus i think that that's what's so bold and ambitious about this film is that you know the entire sequence you know is the fact that there's all the like neon colors and you know the ultraviolet and the fact that you know a disney film is there like yes we will have a sequence in which a character tortures santa <laughs> you know, it, it's you know it's, it's bold pretty much unheard of right <laughs> yeah laura any other sort of like character mom- moments or story moments or fun you know favorite moments you have well one thing i have to say is and it's completely embarrassing um it's taken me till this watch to realize that dr finkelstein is supposed to be like dr frankenstein <laughs> I, it's only now twigged in my head, but I think because I've always watched it when I was a kid and obviously I didn't know who Dr. Frankenstein was when I was, you know, a small kid. I've always like sort of thought of him as like a separate entity from Frankenstein, I guess. It's only now I think, I, and I think because I've been watching, I watched a, a film a couple of weeks ago. Like, what was it called? It was about, it was about Frankenstein. I can't remember. I, you might know what it is. And he's in like, a league with he's he's trying to work with like the gargoyles of of the Notre Dame um cathedral it's it's an okay it's watchable i wouldn't watch it again uh i can't think of what it was but yeah i think i think cuz i watched that recently i sort of i now, frankenstein is that it that's the one yes oh i remember that yes <laughs> yeah it, was, it got better towards the end but yeah i wasn't i wasn't overblown with that one but um yeah i think i think well, some of my favorite characters from Nightmare Before Christmas has got to be Lock, Shock, and Barrel. They're just they they're great, and the I think their song, um, "Kidnap Sandy Claus" is I I think that's my favorite song in the whole of the film. Is is it's hard to pick a favorite song actually because there's only two that I really not that fond of, which is the one that Jack sings um, when he's in the town hall, sort of. Um, describing what Christmas is and like his song he does when he's doing experiments and I think both those songs are quite forgettable songs but I think all the other songs are really like hard-hitting and memorable but um yeah Kidnap the Sandy Claus is, is is a good one and I think because there's the three of them singing as well because most of the songs through it is just 
Jack or there's one with Sally or there's like, I suppose there is the one with the whole town as well. But um, I think the fact that there's just the three, it's more um, intense with the with with the three, and it's yeah, that's, that that one's good. But yeah, Lock, Shock, and Barrel uh, are pretty great. Yeah, I do love them as characters, and yeah, just just their design, and yeah, that that song is just fantastic. Um, it's just just the way it's like cha la 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 la, you know, it's something that can get stuck in your head really easily, and I think. The fact that before I watch this film, I'm kind of singing the songs and the fact that after it, I'm still singing the songs is a good sign of a good, you know, sort of musical song based film. It is right, Laura, in the sense of like you look at the like the town meeting song or like Jack trying to figure out Christmas and, you know, that they very much are more like story based kind of songs. They're not like standalone moments. They work in the sense of like progressing the story. And what I was talking about earlier, the sense you could like listen to the soundtrack and know what's happening through them, but they're not exactly like bangers on on their own um obviously you know i was alluding to this is halloween at the beginning because i think that that's such a great introduction to the world and to the characters um and you know it really showcases again the the creatures and the different types of monsters they put in there that's why i always love about this is sometimes if you watch one of those films in which like pixar or something in which they're like we're going to go into the mind we're going to go into a video game or you know they capture like some sort of world or imagination um based place sometimes there's always like oh but they didn't do that or there was this or or they they missed an opportunity to do this i feel a nightmare before christmas literally has every type of kind of horror creature there is you know the fact that they got you know creature of the black lagoon they got jekyll and hyde they got you know the whole like what do you want to call them russian doll type sort of like thing going on as well yeah there's a there's a devil there's like zombie children there's like everything Mm. and there's ones which you're like what is that you know the guy who's like the the spiders in his hair and snakes his hands i'm like i don't even know what that is (laughs) and you got zero the dog the ghost so yeah yeah. (laughs) pretty much every base is covered (laughs) Yeah, that's true, actually. There's no actual, like, I suppose, human-looking ghost, but, yeah, Zero is there to represent. And they have, like, the ghosts who appear, like, at the beginning, which is always fun against the graves, where they're like, boys and girls of every age. So, yeah, I, I think that's just... And you even got, like, a creepy tree and skeletons, and I love the moment when the witches come in and they're like, say it once, say it twice, take a chance and roll the dice. It's just, like, those characters, again, they're just so, like, energetic, so every time they come in... Like when they're at the town meeting song, the fact that they're just like, what is it? What is it? And he's just like, you know, calm down, you know, <laughs> no, they're always like swooning over Jack, etc. I think that that's what's so important about all those supporting characters being very individual and kind of like invoking some kind of like emotion or characteristic. Like I said, with the vampires, similarly, I love them. Like later on when he's showing them you know, oh, can you make this? And they're like, oh, it can definitely be done. And they sort of scoot away. And when the sun comes out, they kind of like, you know, hold up their wings and stuff like that. And they're there with the umbrellas. It's just, it's kind of like traditional animation in the sense you feel that it's as if somebody has had control of each different character and they've kind of put themselves or their own ideas into all of those characteristics. So, you know, with a lot of tune, uh, so a lot of songs uh, where people sing isn't actually to the melody, isn't actually following the melody in the background. It's usually like a counter melody, which is why it sort of works quite well. Yeah, every single song in this film, it literally has they're singing directly to the melody in the background. And the moment I noticed that, I was just like, oh, this it it sticks out to me a little bit because like. It's definitely you could show, you could see where Danny Elfman was 
you know, very use of writing, like very impactful sort of soundtracks, but there wasn't like a clear way of getting them from like to like songs with lyrics because it was literally just here are the tunes. I'm now going to put lyrics to that tune directly, and it and just a little, uh, just a little bit is sort of sticks out to me that I, I don't know why i find it so irritating but ever since i noticed it as much as i love a lot of the tunes and i think for some of it it works i think this is halloween it sort of gets away with it a lot because a lot of that is meant to sort of be disjointed sort of singing right and just like sort of like the chanting of like this is halloween um but for like more melodic songs i just noticed it and like it's just so distracting to me now <laughs> I guess like that's why it works for me in some instances like maybe that's why it doesn't work in the sense of like the ones Laura was mentioning with you know the town meeting song in the sense is you know like this is a thing you know so it is like you said it's going exactly with the rhythm of the song so it kind of like blends in yeah because the one instance I can definitely remember from like one of those songs is the one character going I am a genius it definitely it restricts the singing a little bit. So the fact you have to follow the melody so perfectly, it makes some of the singing just feel a bit forced. Whereas like not doing that means it would be a bit more free flowing. Mm. But then I do also love when, as you know, Craig, like when soundtrack and music can like combine. So the fact that there's happens in like the Lion King musical, where it's like one of the Hans Zimmer sort of like soundtrack moments in the film becomes like a song in in the musical which like becomes quite powerful i think there's something kind of just like fairy tale-esque about it and kind of makes it not like a musical in the sense that they feel like they're singing and saying like this is what i think and here's this big breakout number is the fact that it feels kind of just rhythmic in a way that it just kind of is going with the flow of the story and kind of telling it in a kind of like i don't know, kind of nursery rhyme kind of way or something like that it's, it's story-esque i think and it, it works and doesn't work yeah, I think this is where I probably need to, to have seen the kid, uh, the film as a kid, because for me that's where I just thought it was a bit too simplistic. But I do love, and as well, like Jack's lament, so like the, you know, the end song. Yeah, the reason that will work the best is because it's literally Danny Elfman singing it, so he has more control over what the melody meant to look like in the first place. For other characters, it it it's forced. Yeah. But it's it's a great moment for, like you said, coming across his, like, his evolution of a character. Like, you know, I am the Pumpkin King and realizing what he's done and the mistakes that he's made. I think that, you know, it's just a great sort of song to convey what has happened. And without that song, obviously, like I said, you wouldn't have that conclusion uh, of the film. Laura, any any other final sort of, like, moments or uh, visual uh, visuals that stand out to you? Um, I think, like, character-wise, I think it's... I think it's really cool that, like, obviously, you know, a skeleton is a skeleton. Like, you know, they they all look the same if it's a human skeleton kind of thing. But I think Jack is such an iconic character. And I think it's the way he's designed. You know, he's he's so tall and slim. Like, there's, you know, I think he's probably like, I, I know, you know, that sort of, uh, I know I know Henry Selleck and, and um, Burton kind of do sort of very slim and like gaunt characters anyway but um i think to have something that's so like run of the mill be something that is such an iconic character i think is 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 pretty cool yeah i love when he jumps in the chimney when he like first gets to the first house and he kind of leaps up and you know like just sort of 
slenderly sort he, he's of almost like a spider in, in in some some ways especially like when he's um in in oh, when he's in oogie boogie's lair and he's trying to avoid the, the um swords on the from the cards and he's sort of like ducking around and yeah he's uh he's he's very uh very nimble and surely, you know, we've said about torturing Santa at Oogie Boogie's lair, but surely we have to talk about just that entire end sequence of, you know, Halloween, Christmas, whatever, you know, we, you know, the nightmare before Christmas. You know, I think that as a kid, again, you know, it is quite frightening. And, it, and even when you watch it now, there's something quite like sort of heart-wrenching about it in the sense you're like, oh, you know, they're trying, but like, this is really terrifying. And just some of the visuals, like said, that kid which opens the box and it's like a head and you're like, my God, like it is so grim and dark. And something I never noticed before, but you know, like when then Santa's going back and, you know, fixing everything so he takes away all the creepy toys and replaces them when like that kid gets given a puppy his parents like bodies are st- like in the background just on the floor i was like oh my god are they okay wow that is quite dark yeah <laughs> but that's that's where you got like respect about just again that i think that end sequence is just quite terrifying just yeah that like creepy doll thing and the, the duck thing that used to scare me as a kid like the actual like the way it chases after them and the fact all the kids are crying i was actually thinking to myself i was like if there was to be a sequel maybe we would see like the kids who act- was there kids out there who enjoyed it was there some kind of like you know little goth kid which was like really disappointed when it got reversed or something but yeah i just think that that sequence is just so stand out and the fact that they painted it in a way as well of the visuals that they wanted Christmas land to obviously be very Christmassy and charming and Halloween land to be all wonky and, you know, like disproportionate, which is great. But the human world, they wanted it all to be very kind of like everything looked the same and all square and kind of organized and every house kind of looked almost the same. Um, I think that works really well to the story and the visual storytelling of it, Um, especially because you can't see any of the parents' parents' faces or the adult faces it kind of gives it this kind of like toy town feel. Um, but I also just res- kind of respect and then just, it probably would happen. And I like, it's just crazy to me every time that they're like, there's some guy imitating Santa, get the cannons, shoot them <laughs> <Yeah>. down. <laughs> like what? <laughs> You're like, this escalated quickly. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I feel with just how many phone calls the police were getting of just what those toys were doing. Mm. I can understand why they would, why the response would be, okay, so this thing's a demon. Yeah. Uh, let's just get rid of it. Yeah. <laughs> but he's trying his best. <laughs> yeah. I will say, you could definitely tell they never saw his face because for what is meant to be a frightening face, every time he smiles, like... I do think of it just, you know, sometimes you just just get those pictures of just say like a duck smiling with like the beak open. I always get that impression of that's what Jack looks like. Just really happy. I was like, oh, he's a lad. I like him. <laughs> so uh, we'll uh, wrap up there then our thoughts. Uh, we've talked all about story, songs, characters, visuals. Uh, we now go on to our final uh, part of our film discussion, which is asking, should Nightmare Before Christmas gain the honor of a place in our movie vault and be remembered for all time? So even though we talked about production elements, you know, remember, this is our vault of films, you know, that we recommend as great examples of film history, which can work, you know, self-contained. So, you know, despite technical achievements or outside factors, you know, do you think Nightmare Before Christmas on its own as a film uh, deserves to go into our movie vault uh nicola your first time here so i 
you know, don't know if you want to go first in terms of like how, how this works, but, but what do you think in terms of that, that general question? I think it does, to be honest. I mean, just what impact it's had culturally um, alone, I think deserves to sort of go in there. But then the artistry and the craft and um, what it symbolises and um, for stop motion itself, uh, I think it deserves it. And obviously the score and um, the soundtrack. Um, yeah, I, I would say yes. Yeah, yeah. Laura, what 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 do you think? Nah, no, yeah, no, <laughs> yeah. I, yeah, I didn't think, like it, did you? Nah, no, no, two out of ten. <laughs> no, I think that yeah. friend that always buys you nightmare for Christmas stuff, like at home, like, what have I done? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, no, I my think, life is a lie. <laughs> I, I think yeah. it's for for nostalgic reasons again. Um, you know, I, I've I've always liked it since I was a kid, um, growing up watching it, and. Yeah, I just love anything that's a little bit spooky and macabre and all that anyway. So yeah, just put it in. Yeah, I, th- I think like like you said, Nicola, I think there's always something that I enjoy about it every time I watch it. I love its simplicity, its visuals. I think, you know, on its own, you know, it, it's such a great sort of fairy tale and story and is boosted by so much like the music and the singing and the characters that it's just a great example of a kind of seasonal film, whichever kind of season you want to put it in. Craig. Yep. Just agree. (laughs) So yep. Into the movie vault then goes nightmare before Christmas from 1993. Let us know. Do you agree with our decision? What else would you like to see go in the movie vault in the future? Let us know on socials. We're in the end game Okay, end game time. And we're going back to sort of a, one of our classic games with a little bit of a twist. So this is a game very simply called We Finish Each Other's. So the idea of this game, uh, specifically, this is our first time where we're doing a music edition. Because I think, obviously, the songs, despite what I said about them, like in terms of like the melody, uh, the lyrics, I think, are incredibly striking. So what this game involves us doing is specifically, I'm going to give you, from any of the various songs throughout the film, I'm going to give you the first the first lyric, and I want you, quick fire, to come in with what is the next, what is the next lyric after it. So what basically follows it. Um, so long as it's got pretty much what I've got written down, uh, I can give you the point. I, I don't want you to cheat and just be like, here's a word from the lyric. I'm not going to allow that. I want you to give some semblance of... Uh, what is actually in the uh, in the lyric itself? Um, in the instance, I'm gonna disclaimer this. In the instance, I might give you a lyric which is like, "This is Halloween. This is Halloween." It will be from the first time it appears in the song. So I'm not gonna try and trick you out and be like, you know, it's one of the later like instances of "This is Halloween." It will always be the first time that lyric is heard in the song. So everyone clear on the rules? Okay. So, um, so before we go into uh, the actual game itself, uh, as always, this is going to be our opportunity to find out what it is our guests will be playing for. So we have a selection of four different films. If Every single one of us is presenting a film for this episode. Um, so now we're just going to have a little teaser for what those films are. So we'll start with David. Tell us a little bit about the film that you would like discuss next episode. Uh, so my film is Three Years Before Nightmare Before Christmas uh, from 1990. Uh, it is, uh, again, 
seasonal in the way that it's not actually itself kind of like Halloween or Christmas timed, uh, but it is a sequel to a Christmas timed movie. And I think that it kind of, you know, replicates a lot of the elements that work about Nightmare Before Christmas in terms of embracing kind of stop motion, animation, puppetry, um, and also, you know, has a lot of fun and kooky, crazy elements. And yeah, is uh, an interesting sequel, uh, to be sure. So we've got David's sequel from 1990. So now we'll hear Laura. Tell us a little bit about your film suggestion. Okay, well, I can't tell you too much because I think you might guess, but uh, it's a film from 2009. It's still billed as a as a kids' film, but um, it's 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 uh, it's quite quite disturbing in some places. So we've got a disturbing kids' film from 2009, Nicola. Um, I kind of think it might be the same film because mine was also from 2009. Um. Again, a kid's film, and I'm not going to say too much, but I'm going to say sewing. Mm. Okay, so we've got potentially <laughs> a different kid's <laughs> horror film from 2009. So when I said we have a selection of four films today, that was instantly a lie. <laughs> yeah. Or is it actually going to be two? Because my film is from 2017. So again, uh, I wanted to focus specifically on the fact that we are coming up to Christmas uh, and usually I'm sort of a bit of a, a Grinchish character and I want to sort of, uh, you know, avoid Christmas until December. That recently got changed because uh, I only saw the film that I would like to suggest for the next episode uh, a couple of days ago. And it's had such a profound impact on me, uh, specifically because I think it brings a modern-esque uh, Christmassy vibe with horror elements um, really blended it, uh, really blended it into the point of, uh, again, sort of genre clashing very much like what this film, uh, has done. Um, but also with a British charm. So there's a lot of, uh, familiar faces that sort of make me happy and then very, very sad and emotional when things happen to them. Um, to the point that, and it's also a musical. So a lot of striking numbers that I want to physically bring to our, uh, to our listeners, uh, if you go with my film. So, we have the selection of films. Which one will be chosen? As always, the winning, uh, the winning uh, guest will be able to choose any of those films. Although, I have a feeling I might know what is chosen, given the fact that our guests potentially have brought the same film. Uh, so, we will get, get used to that. Hopefully, next episode. Well, we'll see. Anyway, what I'm going to do is I'm going to read out the lyric. And if you think you know the answer, I want you to basically buzz in. The way you're going to buzz in is I just want you to give me your best sort of like boo or like uh, ghostly sort of noise. So just to have an idea of what those noises might sound like. Uh, Laura, what sort of noise would you do? Ooh. <laughs> I practiced that for, for ages. Though. Okay. I mean... Yeah, fair. Um, Nicola, what would you go for? Ooh, <laughs> quite similar. <laughs> this is the moment where the other people in your house I mean, are just like, what is going on up there? <laughs> yeah. I mean, if it's, a, sa if it's like, the same huh? noise, we've got one which is like cut off halfway and the other one on like a wobble board, like, woo. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay, but the most important thing is I'm able to tell them apart. David, are you ready to school? Yes. Okay. So like I said, this is going to be relatively quick fire. 
Um, this is the part of the episode where I do a little bit more of a preamble to get the buzzer ready. So, let's start now. I am the one hiding under your bed. <laughs> Laura? <laughs> uh, teeth round sharp with eyes glowing red. Yep. Um, I have a feeling that the lyric uh, website I was looking at potentially is wrong because it says ground sharp. But I think that's basically, I'm not going to penalise you for being one letter off. Uh, so, probably am one letter off. Yeah. I mean, uh, it's it would make enough. sense for them to be ground sharp as opposed to being round sharp. Mm-hmm. But yeah. Yeah. But anyway, so that's one point to Laura. Next up. Wait, I've got a better plan to catch this big red lobster man. I'm going to be terrible in this round. I just... <laughs> it's, it's terrible that I said this was mm. my favourite song. I can't remember the next line. No. Let's pop him in a boiling pot and when he's done, we'll butter him up. That's what I was trying to do, the boiling pot. Oh. <laughs> that, that's a mixing pot, Davis. <laughs> Right. What's this? What's this? This colour everywhere. What's this? Nicola. Uh, There's magic in the air. So close, but it's it's not quite the lyric. (laughs) Do you know what the lyric is, Laura? There's white stuff everywhere. (laughs) Again, I can't give it that. It's there's white things in the air. Oh. So you got the oh. color right, but it's not stuff. <laughs> it's not everywhere. It's in the air. So, so neither is. Oh. So David slightly used this one earlier, but he didn't actually use the next line. I am the clown with the tearaway face. I can never understand what he says because he says it muffled. <laughs> yeah. um. Ooh. Laura. It's something like here in a flash. And gone without a trace. Yeah, that's exactly yeah. what it is. <laughs> oh, okay, cool. Oh, yeah. well done. <laughs> it's something like. It's something like, exactly. <laughs> it is. Next up. I bet perhaps he'll make his special brew. No. <laughs> nope. Of snake and spider stew. Mm. Oh, of course. <laughs> And since I am dead, I can take off my head. Ooh. Laura? To recite Shakespearean quotation. No animal, no man can scream like I can. Ooh. Laura? <laughs> uh, for the theory of my recitation? Something like that. I can't remember. So there's... It's one word out, so I'm going to give half a mark for that word. Okay. It's with the fury of my recitations. So at that point, we were basically just doing a duet because I did take the lyrics from the, the exact same point of the song. What will become of my dear friend? Um, mm, Sally's song, isn't it? Yes, it is Sally's song. Go on, David. <laughs> you got this. <laughs> I should just let him start playing at some point. Yeah. <laughs> this one I can't remember, to be fair. 
No, I can't, I can't either. All right, I'm going to buzz it out. Where will his actions lead us then? Yeah. I am the who when you call who's there. It was one of the intros. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Do you know Nicola? No. <laughs> um, what was the line again? Sorry. I am the who when you call who's there. I am the wind blowing through your hair. Yep. Kidnap the Sandy Claws, beat him with a stick. What rhymes with stick? (laughs) (laughs) I can remember the last bit. That would be eligible for children. (laughs) Kidnap the Sandy Claws, beat him with a stick. (laughs) Something, something, something. And I remember the last bit. Do you know when I went Nicola? Nope. <laughs> um, I think the last bit is see what makes him tick, but I can't remember the first part. I'll give you half a mark for that. It's lock him up for 90 years, see what uh, makes yeah. him tick. I wanted to say, like, open him up and see what that would be a bit, a bit crazy. <laughs> oh, <laughs> pinata. <laughs> okay. What's this in here? They've got a little tree. Is it how queer and who would ever think? Yep, it is that. Oh. Although we are abandoning ghost noises, apparently. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> oh, sorry. I'll, I'll do it, it next. It just sounds like people are a fan of the question. Like, Woo! <laughs> 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 Mr. Oogie Boogie says there's trouble close at hand. Woo! Laura? Um, I can't remember. I think it. I the last bit, I think, is so I'd get out of town, maybe. It's not that. No. Any ideas, Nicola? Nope. <laughs> David? <laughs> is it so you better pay attention because I'm a because I'm a gambling boogie man, or was that a different bit? That was almost right, except you put the wording you put the word gambling in for oh, no right. reason. No, oh, he says that at another point then. Yeah. You'd better pay attention now because I'm the boogie. Right, okay, man. yeah. That did go through yeah, my head and so... I was like, he says gambling or something. <laughs> yeah, so that's later on. Okay. And the final one, for it is plain as anyone can see. Can you sing it? I, I don't remember it well <laughs> enough to sing it. <laughs> Damn it. Uh, we're simply meant to be. Oh. Yep. <laughs> With That was the, uh, the final sung lyric in the song, uh, which makes oh. it a fitting end for the uh. end of the end game. So, David... Who was the winning contestant so, in the end? Uh, Laura had <laughs> a wonder. sweep there with seven. <laughs> and uh, Nicola was you. <laughs> and this was I. Yeah, I mean, it may have been a bit of a mismatch in terms of the game, considering that Laura has grown up with these songs. Yeah. Um, but in that case, Laura is the winner. Yay! Congratulations, Laura. So, Thank you. you have now the choice of films before you. You can either go for David's sequel of a Christmas film from 1990. You can go for my Christmassy sort of horror musical from 2017. You have the dark children's film of Nicholas from 2009. And yours potentially completely different children's horror film from 2009. So, which well, of the films would you like to discuss next episode? 
I think mine and Nicola's are definitely the same ones. So I'm not <laughs> going to pick that. Um, I'm interested to know what film has moved Craig. Oh. <laughs> are you actually going for mine? I am, yes. Okay, hey. fantastic. So, like I said, this is this was relatively unknown to me until uh, until very recently. Uh, after a friend of mine made me watch a very, very interesting film on Amazon Prime called Killer Pinata. She then took to Twitter. That's not the film, I promise you. That's not the film. <laughs> um, basically took to Twitter and was looking for more suggestions. I was given the suggestion, so we watched it together. And yeah, I found it incredibly upbeat, uh, funny, uh, emotional... Um, but does have a lot of British uh, British stars from the television scene, including one of my favourite TV actors of Mark Benton. Um, this is a film that um, mainly got a lot of uh, Scottish BAFTA nominations, but this is a film from 2017 called Anna and the Apocalypse. Ah. Twas the night before Christmas. And all through the house, not a creature was stirring, not even a mouse. Young Anna was nestled, all snug in her bed, not knowing tomorrow she'd meet the undead. How would she survive? What this season would bring? Well, that's simple. She'd stab, she'd slash, and she'd sing. Justin Bieber's a zombie. Yeah, no, I I watched it recently and I was actually, I was very surprised that it's it's incredibly sort of, I'm trying to think of a generous way of putting like the, the, the songs, but they're very sort of like what you'd imagine standard musical to be. And then it just goes into like a zombie apocalypse just out of nowhere. And it's just watching how those songs sort of evolve to match that. But yeah, I just thought a nice way of sort of ending like the horror and then actually going purely into Christmas. Yeah, it is one that's been on my radar for a while, actually. I haven't uh, seen it either, but I remember this being, like, the front cover of, like, film stories and stuff like that. There was, like, a few uh, publications which were running with stories because, obviously, it was a British film. Uh, so, yeah, great choice there. So, Anna and the Apocalypse from Just Watch Has It is 2018, uh, but... Well, I mean, it was released 20. at Christmas. Like, what do you think is yeah, likely to be Yeah, it's probably one of those UK-US things. Yeah. But Anna and the Apocalypse... Um, and at the moment, if you want to join in then our watch and discussion of that film and be ready for next episode, you can catch it at the moment over on Amazon Prime as part of your subscription. Uh, or also, I believe, on Shudder as part of your subscription there, which is uh, not one we've had, um, which is also a channel via Amazon. Uh, this is not a Amazon advertised podcast, uh, but it just tends to be a lot on a bunch of their services apparently at the moment. But and I'll usual, prove that right now. Fuck you, Bezos. <laughs> but... Uh, you can also uh, rent it on places like Apple, uh, Google, uh, or I'm sure you can catch it on some form of physical media out there as well, hopefully. Um, but yeah, Anna and the Apocalypse, check it out, ready for next episode. Cool. Right, well, thank you both for joining us in discussing The Nightmare Before Christmas. Uh, it's been a lot of fun. Uh Please do let us know uh, where can we catch you guys, is there any projects or uh, anything coming up that you want to give a shout for. 
Uh, Nicola, first off, where, where can we catch you? Um, I'm on Twitter at um, Nicola underscore Oz, AUS. Um, and I've got a couple of articles out at the moment. I obviously had said Lauren Balfe um, about Black Adam and then one about Dungeons and Dragons on Radio Times. And did you get to meet Dwayne The Rock Johnson recently through your Black Adam coverage? <laughs> I did. That's genuinely yes, incredible. which was insane. He is humongous. He is as big as he looks. So, yes, that's uh, it was a bit intimidating, <laughs> but it was lovely. So I was going to say, is he as scary and as intimidating? <laughs> was it at that? red carpet event or was it another one where he was just like in a hot pink suit or something it was like yes yeah <laughs> and then he came in and in a taxi which was uh black and yellow which was crazy but yeah <laughs> awesome right go check out those uh, articles and yeah thank you for joining us hope you can join us again in the future it's been lots of fun and thank you laura what about yourself uh where can the people catch you and anything else you want to shout out or you got coming up um find me on youtube twitch tiktok instagram twitter all on the same handle um which is lawlation which is l-a-w-l-a-l-e-y-s-h-o-n awesome go check it out uh get ready for uh, video game stuff as well as we know the link there as well with dungeons and dragons there's going to be some more video game or at a board game whatever you want to call it adaptations oh, definitely up. uh definitely video games yeah but um yeah maybe some dungeons and dragons stuff in the future i do play a lot of dungeons and dragons as well so um maybe i'll film some <laughs> sessions at some point awesome yeah that'll be some good overlap some good uh, promotion for the film maybe they'll reach out to you and <laughs> we like yeah. to sponsor your uh, your D games but yeah uh well done on the end game uh, Nicola, considerations, but I, I've been there. Don't worry, I've done the end games, and uh, I'm glad somebody else is joining me. And they're like, I didn't do do well in this one. Uh, but uh, yeah, thank you both for joining us. Uh, Craig, anything lastly from yourself? Obviously, we got an exciting project coming up at the end of the year, especially when we're talking about end games. Yep, so thematically, for many people, I'm going to be giving them the very own Nightmare Before Christmas because we have our guests lined up ready to record the next Endgame special um, and it, it will be released uh, towards the end uh, end of December we'll be recording it very very soon we're already in, in pre-production for the episode uh, it's going to be a blast also just to remind people we are still looking for a number of different animal related charities that we would like to donate to um, as part of like a, a fundraising drive uh, we still haven't made a, a, an exact decision on what we uh, which ones we would like to donate to yet so please let us know if you think there's one in particular that is worthy of our sort of uh, time and effort uh, and we'll definitely like to put something towards them um, we just need to know who we think uh, who people think the best ones to donate to would be so do get in touch and let us know yep the end game special is always fun just a giant version of what you've just listened to uh, throughout several different rounds lots of craziness there and a good way to end the year um, so yeah thank you everyone for listening and for joining uh, we've had a great time talking about the nightmare before christmas uh, which has gone into our movie vault and uh, obviously next time then we'll be talking about anna and the apocalypse so thank you once again to uh, laura and nicola and we'll catch you on the next one bye-bye see ya bye bye Keep up with the latest episodes of Well Good Movies, you can listen to us on all your usual podcast outlets, including Apple, Google, Spotify, YouTube, and more. Don't forget to follow us, subscribe, and rate us where you can to keep our podcast growing. You can follow us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at Well Good Movies. 
to keep up with the latest news and highlights from all our episodes, as well as tell us what movies you want to be discussed in the future. And if all of that isn't enough, you can also find us at our website, freshtakehub.com slash wellgoodmovies, where you can catch all our episodes along with videos and articles deep diving into the worlds of film and television. So what are you waiting for? Go check out the film we'll be discussing in next time's episode.